Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy and you have entered into the fix. rejoining the recovery guy podcast of course this is tuesday so we are working on the fix and i am glad that you are here so welcome back if you've been here before and if this is uh, your time uh, your first time listening then welcome to recovery guy the recovery guy movement and all that we are about uh, we want to keep it um, as close to home as possible We do know that so many people, whether you're visiting from Instagram or uh, my Facebook page or recoveryguide.org or you're just uh, strictly um, a podcast channel person that finds me in Spotify or iTunes or iHeartRadio podcast, however you get here, the most important thing is you're here, right? Uh, At recoveryguide.org, there's also my blogs there as well. So if you visit there, you get, a, you get a full dose and you can see some of the other things that we do at Recovery Guy to make ourselves available to you in the most broad sense we can while we narrow in on the best way for us to become uh, from go, go from broken to whole. So today's no different. Today's podcast is entitled Healing While Hurting. Healing While Hurting. This is a little different. A number of months ago, um, we had a podcast called Healing Hurts, uh, and this is a little different, uh, drawing on a little bit more personal life experience and and relating it to um, you, the audience, so we can all sort of um, swim in the in the pool together, relating these stories and the things that we'll chat about. Uh, in a in a common sense, but from an individual perspective, I love the first tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, "Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon a, a unity." So we have a commonality, we have a common cause, and that's we're all joining here together. No matter what side of the microphone you're on, we're all here for the same purpose. So we have this common cause, this common concern, and for me to get well. You and I need to join in an effective solution that speaks to me as a person, but speaks to the group as a whole. And I think, and I think we're there. I think we're together. So thank you for joining today, healing while hurting. You know, in my years of recovery, if there's anything I've learned about life, is that it it occurs with or without my permission, right? You you. You, you, you get what I'm saying there? Uh, obviously, if it only occurred with my position or permission, uh, only what I wanted, when I wanted, it would work for me, right? So only the things I would want to happen, I could, I could sort of design my own life, right? Uh, like clothes, like designer clothes. I could get my own line. I could get my own wardrobe. But life doesn't work that way. Life just sort of happens. And since that is not the case, I learned early on in recovery that I, um, I had to live life on life's terms, right? There, there, there's a phrase, just life on life terms. 
Um, I also learned that for the most part, now, this is for the most part, I now in my life now, I realize this is the rule, not the exception. I, I could at least have, have a say in life's course based on what I did or, or did not do, right? Because we know that uh, our behavior either ushers in certain things, negative and positive, or, or it, it can exclude some of those negatives or positives, right? Um, we create um, uh, a sense of, or an environment and aura around us, right? Um, if I'm going to be a magnet to anything and attract anything in life, then of course, I would like it to be good. So I try to exhibit behavior that, that's consistent with that. Uh, Bill Wilson, who is a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and whether or not you're a follower of AA or not is not important because I think the quote that Bill lays out for us is something that we can all come together on and agree. Um, he so aptly stated in page 133 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is a quote, he says, avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. In other words, don't be my own enemy, but if or when needed, rely on God to see me through. I love how we framed that. Isn't that very poetic? Avoid then, stop, stay away from the deliberate manufacture of misery. In other words, don't be my own worst enemy. Don't, don't on purpose, right? And we sabotage it or, or we disguise it. Oh, I would never do that. But aren't we really, aren't we really setting ourselves up for failure? That's what he's saying. Avoid it then. Try to find a way around it. And the best way around it is to, um, to alter or change our mindset to just not be that way. So avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if trouble comes, cheerily capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. Again, a quote from Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson, page 133 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So this might seem logical, right? If you're out there and you're you're the average person who who's just sort of gone through life and 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 I dig it, you don't have to go through what 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 I or others have to go through. Um, you know, if you if you've been able to avoid those things, that's fantastic. And, and to you, this might seem very logical. For the person who has uh, suffered from an addiction or behavioral uh, dysfunction, we have to learn this as a child would learn how to walk. This is, this is not something that comes natural to us. What does come natural to us is sabotaging things that are good. We will actually build a fire just to jump into it. And I know that sounds, you know, uh, harsh or overly critical or maybe maybe even absurd, but no, I mean, uh, why would we have such a wreckage of our life if we didn't do things knowing that we were going to destroy them because that's really what we were all about? Anything that ever good came in my life, I made sure that I set something up so I wouldn't have it, so I could um, 
then um, verify that it happened because of me, that I wasn't worth loving, that I wasn't worth caring for, that I wasn't worth being around. Uh, and so I would deliberately manufacture misery. I would never tell you I would because I always needed it to be your fault. But at the end of the day, deep down inside, as my good friend Will said, at two o'clock in the morning and the lights are out and nobody else is there, what is the truth? Here's, here's a quote that the great Zig Ziglar, and if you didn't read the blog, uh, the great quotes by a great, uh, by a giant of a man, giant quotes by a giant of a man, uh, one, of my, one of my blogs, I think you'll really appreciate it. But Zig Ziglar said, you can tell some of a man's character when he wins, and you can tell it all when he loses. Have you ever heard that quote before? Outstanding quote. Let me read it to you again, and these will be in the notes, so don't worry about writing this down now. You can just copy them down later. But here we go. You can tell some of a man's character when he wins, and you can tell it all when he loses. So in recovery, whether it's an addiction from a substance or a behavioral dysfunction that caused life challenges, in recovery, I would say to you, you can see how a person says they handle life when everything is going their way. And you can see what they're really made of when their apple cart gets turned upside down. Do you ever have your apple cart turned upside down? Where we're just going through life. And the next thing you know, out of nowhere, that uncontrollable part of life, regardless of how we're living, decides that something is going to happen and there's other forces at work and it occurs. And the next thing you know, we're saying, holy cow, what just happened? Now, this type of life challenging or life challenging, it may or may not be a part of your story, but it's a major part of mine. Let me share with you a couple things. And then, and then we'll discuss um, six things that I think we can do. Let me take you back to August 1st of 1988. As many of you know, my, my dad was alcoholic. Uh, I became alcoholic. And my dad got sober when he was 53 years old. And I was still drinking. And, and using um, and getting worse and getting worse. I was about to enter into the chronic phase where on a cellular level, I needed alcohol and drugs just like I would need breath, right? Like, like, a, like a fish needs water. I needed a certain amount of alcohol and drugs in my system just so I didn't drive my car up off of a cliff. It was that necessary to sustain the very rudimentary basics of my life. So then when my dad was about 59, I got clean and sober. I went into treatment and I started to get well. So now, August 1st of 1988, um, I'm right at about two and a half years sober. 
and I'm going to go visit my dad. I'm so excited to visit my dad. He was living in Las Vegas and I was managing the Black Angus restaurant in Montclair, California. I hadn't met Lori yet. And so I drive to Las Vegas, about a three and a half hour drive. And I knock on my dad's door and nobody answers the door, which was strange because his car was there. And so someone came around the corner and said, I don't know what happened, but there was an ambulance and they took someone away. So then a few minutes later, my sister-in-law, Ann, came around. My brother, Jim, and, and Ann lived in the condos in the, in the same um, uh, area, in the same condo complex that uh, my mom and dad lived in. And Ann came around the corner and she said, Bobby, dad had a heart attack and it doesn't look good. And he's at North Las Vegas Hospital. So I drive over to the hospital um, to see my dad and see what was going on. And when I got there, uh, my mom and my ex-wife Sue was there and my sister Patty. And that's all I could remember at the time. There may have been others there, but that's really all I remember. And I walk in and my dad had died. And it was a very challenging moment for me. I go from thinking I'm going to spend the week with my dad. In that two and a half years of my being sober and him already being sober, we were becoming the friends I always wanted us to be. And he's dead. And my Apple card, when I say it was turned upside down, it was turned upside down. And they turned it upside down again and again and again, just to make sure that I knew it was turned upside down. And so the next thing I remember I'm back where they had my dad's body and I'm signing his death certificate. Now it was unusual because my name is Robert Pardon and my dad is Robert Pardon. So here I was identifying my father as being deceased. So Robert Pardon is signing the death notification or certificate, whatever they called it for Robert Pardon. That was unusual. I that that was not lost on me in that moment. So here I am, two and a half years sober, so excited to be my dad's friend after all these years, looking forward to playing cribbage with him and pinochle with him and my mom and just having a great and wonderful time. So instead of spending the week with my dad, um, I buried my dad. And and, you know, back then, my sobriety was sure. But when somebody, when something like that happens, it can become very precarious rather quickly. So then going back to that quote, avoid then the deliberate manufactory, manufacturing of my misery. And when trouble comes, use it as an opportunity for God to demonstrate his omnipotence. So that's what I did. I didn't sabotage myself. I didn't say, oh, heck, this is bad. That's bad. Woe is me. Pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. I said, okay, God, here's the deal. This sucks. And this is terrible. And I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But here's one thing I know, God, that if you do for me 
what I need you to do. And that's keep me sober this week because I'm back in Las Vegas, right? I'd lived in Las Vegas from 1987 and drank and used solidly like a like a like an out of control train going down a steep hill. I was I was I was crashing and burning when when I was in Las Vegas. And then I got sober in 1986. So Las Vegas had two sides for me. It was it was where my my life accelerated uh, at an uncontrollable pay, pace to disaster, but it led to my treatment. But then I got clean and sober there. So here I'm back in the town where I got clean and sober in facing up to that point was the most difficult sober challenge of my young sober life. So what do you do? I do what I learned how to do, and that's use it as an opportunity to demonstrate God's omnipotence. And I told God, I said, God, if you keep me sober this week through this whole experience, I will know there will never be a reason for me to drink or use again. And I was healing while I was hurting. I did not stop hurting. It hurt a lot. It was very painful. But I was healing because I knew I did not have to self-sabotage my condition. I realized that what I'd learned from Zig Ziglar on, on some of a man's character, and you can tell it all when he loses, or you can tell it all when his apple cart or the rug is pulled out from under him. But it wasn't my character, it was the character of God as I understood God. And so then, just recently, uh, my mom died. My mom died at early in the morning. It was probably 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m. because I got a call from my brother George at 3 a.m. this last Wednesday, uh, and my mom had died. Now, Understand it wasn't the same shock as my dad dying because my dad died suddenly, even though he wasn't in the greatest of health, none of us knew he was going to drop dead in his sleep that day. Whereas my mom died when she was 93, she had had dementia, and we were all amazed that she hung on as long as she did. My mom was just an incredible giant of physical strength all five foot one of her, you know, and, 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 you know, 120 pounds or whatever. My mom was not a, a, a big woman, but she was strong. She had physical endurance and strength and health and fortitude. And she just never gave up. So she, here she is 93 years old. She, she, she dies. And even though it wasn't unexpected, something happens a different kind of hurt when your mom dies, you know, and, and my mom, not only was my mom who I loved dearly, but she also represented the longest living person who'd known me my entire life. Right now, as I mentioned the other day, that distinction goes to my brother, George. So my mom dies, and and it sort of threw me off balance. Someone said, "How are you?" And I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm trying to I'm trying to catch my balance here. I'm trying to 
I'm trying to see where I'm at. And, and I began to look at things and I realized healing while hurting is about finding our way to the light, even through the darkness. Do you ever find that to be true? Do you ever, do you ever notice where we, we can see some light out there in front of us, but we have to go through this dark pathway, like a tunnel to get to that light. But we know if we're willing to, to walk through that, we're going to end up in the light. And in my case, in the arms of, of God. And I knew that even though I was hurting, I could be healing while I was hurting. And it's worked. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm pretty much balanced now. You know, I'm connected with my, with my children. Um, and we chatted together. And obviously my, my wife, Laura, who, you know, uh, always viewed uh, Laura as another daughter and, and chatted with my brothers and my sister, Mary, and just really finding the way through there. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about what do you do? Because if this has happened to you, you can totally relate to where I'm coming from. We probably have shared very similar experiences. But if it hasn't happened to you, I want to help prepare you. And if it has happened to, to you as it's happened to me, you know what? There's a good chance because, again, life occurs with or without my permission. Bad things happen even when I don't agree. Bad things happen when I think the timing for them really sucks. But we just call that life. So here are some of the things, and there's six things here, five, and then and then another thing added on. And, you know, I, I tried to put these in somewhat of an order, um, but they can be in whatever order you want. And as usual, you can rewrite them to make them your own. These are just things that I thought of that I know have encouraged me as I've just gone back and, and uh, looked at my foundation. You know, one of the things that they do, growing up in Southern California, I'm very used to earthquakes. And, and if you've been in Shakers before, you know, we had one here in Utah and it was a 5.7 or 5.8 earthquake. And, and a lot of people were really upset. And it's like, well, you know what? A 5.8 will get you attention no matter where you are. It'll get your attention. But, um, but go through a 7.5, you know, or 6.9 in Southern California, those really get your attention, right? So, so what do we do though? What, what, what happens? What do the geologists do and the engineers do? Well, when, when, when things get shaken up like that, they go back and the first thing they do is they look at the foundation. They look at structural from, from, from the inside out and from the bottom up because they know the inside is going to support the outside and the bottom is going to support the top, right? Um, the Bible says, uh, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do, right? So we, we look at foundational. So that's where I want to start. So what do you do? 
to to go through challenges that could send you off into another direction, but you stay grounded or you want to stay grounded. So here's here are my thoughts again. And again, I'll put these in the notes. Develop an unshakable relationship with God. Foundationally, an unshakable relationship with God is the most important thing or relationship that I have. Nothing is more important than my relationship with God. God was there before anything else was, and God will be there when everything else is gone. As much as, and you've heard me talk about Laura and the love affair that we have had for over 31 years, my relationship with God is why I can have the relationship with Laura. Because I have an unshakable relationship with God, nothing, and God proved himself that day. Back on August 1st of 1988, I said, God, if you do this for me, I will know. Not only I'll know that I don't ever have to drink again, but I'll know that there's nothing I can't walk through in life where I cannot come out better on the other side because how you have carried and instructed me through. Do you have that kind of relationship with your higher power? Do you look for that? Do you rely on that? Do you go to sleep knowing that? Do you wake up praising that? If you don't, may I suggest that you do. Remember, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The answer is nothing. So let that foundational relationship with God as you understand God be paramount and unshakable in your life. The next thing, we're going to go from the inside out, as Stephen would say. Stephen Covey, that is. Stay close to those who add value to your life. Now, that's where Laura comes in. No one in my life adds more value to me after God than Laura. Who is that in your life? Do you have one individual? Do you have a, a co-equal circle of individuals that, that are that component? Who is it? Who are they that value add to your life? And I'm not saying they are your life because they're not inside you. People leave. Here's one thing we need to understand. People leave either by omission or commission. They either do it on purpose or they do it because life just dictates it, right? They either do it as part of life or life does it as part of them. But people leave. So, so everyone has to be an addition to our life, right? Just like my children. My daughter, Kathleen, incredible value add to my life. And Carol and Frankie and Sarah Jane. And I, my son, Rob, and my, my, uh, uh, my son-in-laws and my daughter-in-law, and of course, my grandchildren, obviously, my mom and my brothers and my sister, and, you know, all these people add value to my life. I stay close to them. 
Matter of fact, through this situation with my mom, a couple of the people I wasn't close to were now close because we realized I need you in my life. You're important. And when I go through something like this, I want to know that you're there. The next thing is always have a gratitude list ready to go. I cannot tell you how many times that have kept me from the poor me's. Always having a gratitude list. Because again, I would tell people over and over again, and you probably heard me say it before. Have you ever seen a, a one-sided coin? Let me help you out. No. Why? Because there's no such thing as a one-sided coin. So when something happens that turns my life upside down, that seems very, very dark, I can turn that over and I turn it over utilizing my gratitude list. Say, this happened. My mom died. My dad died. Uh, I lost this job. I lost this house. I, whatever I lost or is not going the way I want it to go. But let me tell you all the things that are going fantastic. Let me tell you all the things I am grateful for and that are actually building in my life while I'm losing this part. Does it mean we're not hurting? No, but healing while we're hurting. And there's nothing better than healing while hurting than knowing the people who add value in your life because they will help us heal and then relying on the other things in our life that are going good. Next thing, very important. Be active in serving others. You want to stop feeling badly? Sorry for yourself? Get out of yourself and help somebody else. People who heal help because helping heals, right? People who heal helps because helping heals. It just does. And if I can help someone overcome something, it gets me out of me. And then they reciprocate their regard by receiving the help I'm giving. And all of a sudden, their value adding back to my life and adding to my gratitude list. It further helps. Uh, it further helps ground my relationship in God because now. I'm serving God as serving God through serving others. And it deepens my resolve. The next thing is from a practical side, I get and maintain closure. I don't leave emotions out there dangling because they'll come out and get me just like in whack-a-mole. You ever play that game at Chuck E. Cheese or, or the amusement center? Uh, whack-a-mole, you hit it over here and it comes up over there and you hit it there, hit it there, hit it there. I need closure in my life. I need to sort of draw everything back in and say, okay, this is it and that is that. Let's draw it back in. Let's get control of it. What we can't control, we turn over to God and we release. But I get in my, and I maintain that closure, right? And when I turn it over to God, I leave it to God. I close what I can and reconcile what I can and when I can't, I give to God. I love, I go back to this pet rock thing that my sister Mary had. The coolest thing, my sister Mary had this rock and on one side it said, please turn me over. And on the other side it said, thank you. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Please turn me over. The other side it said, thank you. And that's what I need to do. 
I need to get closure. I need to turn it over and I need to leave it there because that's what closure is. Closure doesn't mean closing the door and then opening it back up and peek and seeing how it's doing. If it's closed, it's closed. And I go on to other things. It doesn't mean I don't revisit it down the line and see what I've been able to learn from it, but I don't go back as if it's not closed once I say it is closed. And then number six, wash, rinse, repeat. (laughs) Wash, rinse, repeat. Because these five things I need to do simultaneously sometimes, but continually. My relationship with God can always be more grounded, which will help it to be more unshakable. My relationship with those who add value in my life can always be deepened. My gratitude list, I hope, continues to grow wider and deeper as I recognize new things in my life that I'm grateful for. I also have a deepening sense of gratitude to the things I've already been appreciating. Serving others, <laughs> the need is great. Trust me when I tell you. The recovery guy movement and probably things that you're involved in. I, I wish I could just walk away from everything else I'm doing and completely devote myself to the masses. And it still wouldn't be enough time. I probably devote 25 hours a week through developing content for my blogs my podcasts, my Zoom meetings, messages, conversations, all the things that I'm looking to do as sort of giving back to my 34 years of recovery. There's a lot of giving back that I have to do because the giving to me has been unpayable. So I try to do that in giving back to others. And of course, getting and maintaining closure. So when I go to bed at night, I can rest and say, you know what? This has been a good day. Everything I could close a chapter on or door on, I did. And it leaves me refreshed, able to rest. And I get up the next day so I could wash, rinse, and repeat. I am convinced that if we do these things over and over and apply good decision-making along the way, it, it won't keep us from hurting but it will be better equipped us to heal while we are hurting. Thank you for taking the time with me today in The Fix. Go to recoveryguy.org, recovery underscore guy on Instagram, the recovery guy uh, on Facebook, the podcast channels, recovery guy podcast. Share this message, click the links, read the blogs, share it with a friend. As I always like to say, we got sick apart, but we get well together. My name is Robert, and I am the Recovery Guy. 